If you've got a Bible this morning, turn to John chapter 8 with me. I want to let you know about something coming next Sunday. You want to be here next Sunday and you want to invite someone to come with you. We're going to have a little bit of a different Sunday next week. We're going to be sharing, I'm going to be sharing with you about some things coming down the pipeline here in uh, the year of 2018. We've made a yearly annual uh, time of this. And so you want to be here next uh, Sunday. We're going to be talking about just some really uh, exciting things that God is doing in our faith family in this next coming year. Some emphasis we're going to have. And uh, really, really excited about that. So I don't want to uh, spill any beans that I'm not supposed to spill. So I won't uh, go into too much detail today uh, and for the sake of time. But also just want to encourage you to be here next Sunday. Invite someone to be with you. We're going to really unpack the coming year uh, of 2018. It's been an exciting year in 2017 for our faith family. And there is much to be excited about in our church family. I will say one thing that, uh, I'll spill the beans a little bit, that in, in, in the year of 2017, in the last six months, since July 1st to January 1st, in six months, God's blessed us with uh, 31 new regular attenders. Now you say, Adam, why haven't they joined our church? Well, I don't know. Uh, but uh, it takes about 18 months for people to, jo- to decide to join a church, so that's not unusual. It used to be that people would join on their third Sunday. Now in today's world, it takes 18 months. It's just how it is now. Uh, but God has blessed us in the last six, six months with 31 new regular attenders. And so God is at work here. And so there's much to be excited in our faith family. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to John chapter 8. We're continuing to walk through this gospel of John. Like I said, next week we'll take a one-week break and we'll uh, talk about some things that are coming in 2018. But we're here in John chapter 18. We've been seeing over the last few weeks claims of Jesus Christ. The reaction, and honestly, the reaction that Jesus has been getting to some of his claims have been negative. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that this week. But through it all, we've been seeing characteristics of Jesus, titles that he, I am statements. We're going to see a new I am statement that Jesus gives. Through it all, through this gospel, we've been motivated and seen to grow in our belief more and more of who Jesus Christ is. So let's look at John chapter 8 and verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. 
When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Not one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Now, before we dive into this passage of Scripture, you may notice something in your Bible that you may have an asterisk next to John 7, 53, and John chapter 8 through 11. Mine says here the earliest manuscripts do not include this. Anyone else have that in your Bible? Anyone else see that? Okay, let's talk about this for just one minute before we dive into this passage, because as it says that this passage is not found in some of the oldest manuscripts, and perhaps this could cause us to be a little bit uncomfortable with the validity of this narrative. But as we research and study this, you will find out that today most commentators and theologians and When we're looking at something like this, we want to see what other commentators and theologians are saying, and because they know more than us, but it also to compare to what they're saying with each other. And as that happens, most commentators and theologians confirm the authenticity of this event. If you look in John chapter 21 and verse 45, John, the writer of this book, alludes to other things Jesus did. So this narrative may be one of those events. And similar stories to this woman, this adulterous woman being brought before the religious leaders, is included in other ancient writings. So we can feel very confident that this is the inspired word of God. Okay. So long story short, don't feel uncomfortable, don't doubt that this happened. It was just not found in other older manuscripts. As translations are brought together, not to bore you with all of this, But as other translations are pieced together to where we get our translations we have here, there have been older manuscripts of John that have been found, and it wasn't in there, but we have it. So we can feel comfortable with that this is the Word of God, and this is the inspired and errant Word of God. So, in this passage, we see an adulterous woman is brought before Jesus by the scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders of the day. We don't know how she was caught in this adultery, this sexual sin, but she was caught by it. And as the law says, she would be brought before the religious leaders. And what they did, they put her in the center of a circle or a ring, and they would surround her, and they would be surrounded, and they were the so-called religious experts of the day. Well, they were not there to just judge her on, on her sin, but they were there to trap Jesus, as it tells us in this passage. They says that in verse 6, that they did this so that they might try to find evidence to accuse him. Remember, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these scribes, the religious leaders of the day, they were frustrated with Jesus. Jesus was really beginning to undo their religious cartel that they had, and so they were looking for evidence and opportunities to kill him, as we've seen the last few weeks. And so they thought, well, maybe if he can make a statement that is contrary to the law of Moses that is heretical, then we'll have an excuse to kill him, all right? So a lot of politics going on here, a lot of uh, moving pieces that were going on here. And so they have this woman in the middle of this circle. They're trying to trap Jesus to get him to say something that would go against the law of Moses to kill him. Now, remember, we've seen this. They're plotting to kill him, but they have not had enough evidence to kill him, so they're trying to conjure that up. 
Well, the law of Moses stated that if someone was caught in the act of adultery, they should be stoned. Man or woman, if they were caught in the act of adultery, they should be stoned. Well, this happens, and they're beginning to say this. They're trying to trap Jesus, get him to say something that he shouldn't say. And Jesus is there, and I love this, this moment, this picture of Jesus. He's not phased by any of this, is he? Is he? You know, he's not, he's not overreacting. He's not reacting. He's responding, and there's some wi- real wisdom that we can take away from that, not to react to situations, but to respond to situations. But Jesus is there, and he starts riding in the dirt, and they're questioning him and questioning him. They're, they're pestering him. They're, they're nagging him. They are just asking him over and over. And finally, Jesus looks up and calmly says, The one without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone at her. Isn't that a great response? a great response because hear what they're trying to do they're trying to get jesus to say something about the topic of adultery and the law of moses and get caught in the you know in in the tit for tat things but jesus gets right to the heart of the issue and he says the one without sin go ahead and throw the first rock at her and what happens they just end up leaving one by one Because they understand, obviously, each one of them had sinned. So here in this powerful moment, we have these religious leaders. They knew the law of Moses forwards and backwards. They had devoted their entire lives to religion. And they want to start a religious debate with Jesus. And he just gets right to their heart. And they understand that they are sinful. They are depraved. And there's nothing else that they can say. And they just start walking away. So here's a reality that we must come to grips with. No matter how religious we are, no matter how good we may perceive ourselves to be, we are sinful. We are depraved. You are sinful. I am sinful. You say, Adam, really? We're sinful? Absolutely. I mean, just for example, let's look at our motives, right? You're saying, Adam, don't go there. I'm sorry. But look at our motives, why we do things. And when we begin to really examine why we do things, we will begin to realize and see, I see this in my own life, that we're really very self-serving people. Or look, about, look at or think about what we think. That private, or private arena of our minds that no one else can see, no one else can uncover, no matter how close another human being can get to us, we have that private arena of our minds that no one else has access to. And if we were this morning to put up every private thought that each of us had this week up here on the screen we would probably just begin leaving, right? Because of that private, unaccessed part of our brains that no one else has access to. You just turn on the news and you see just how sinful, how broken we really are as a human race. We're broken. 
So Jesus says, okay, you religious gurus, if you're without sin, go ahead and throw the first rock at this woman. And here's what's a, why this is such a brilliant statement. See, these guys were experts in the law of Moses. Well, why did the law of Moses have to be there in the first place? At the core of it was the Ten Commandments, right? Do not steal. Do not murder. Keep the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Why was the Ten Commandments there? Because they were sinful. So even their own law that they held so dearly to, even the Ten Commandments pointed to their sinfulness. And Jesus says, okay, guys, all right, you uber-religious people, if you're without sin, throw the first rock. The reality that you're keeping the law of Moses to the point of legalism, you're proving your own sin. So if you're without sin, go ahead and throw the first rock at her. And they just start leaving one by one. Even in the midst of their religious pride and their snobbery, they had to admit they were sinful. And we're in that same boat. The reality of sin in our lives, it's depressing, isn't it? But I don't want us to necessarily feel depressed right now when we examine our lives and look at our sinfulness because there's hope. Because look what Jesus told her. I mean, these guys were sinful. She's sinful. She's been sleeping around. She's been caught in the act of adultery. So they were sinful. She was sinful. And so that's kind of depressing. But here, though, she had, she had committed adultery. Jesus asked her a question. He says to, she says to there, where are they now? Where are the ones who are ready to condemn you and kill you? And she says, no one, Lord. Now, that's a profound statement. Because she just doesn't say no one, but what does she tack on there? Lord. You don't call someone Lord unless you believe they are Lord. And so she's believed in Jesus here. And she says, no one, Lord. And then Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So here's this woman. She's trapped in her sin. She's a slave to it. And Jesus doesn't condemn her, but he gives her freedom. Now, not freedom to just continue to live how she's always lived, right? Because what does he say? Go and sin no more. Jesus here does not say, well, I don't condemn you, go. No, what does he say? Go and sin no more. And so Jesus gives her freedom. Freedom from sin. Go and sin no more. So she's a slave to the sin. Jesus doesn't condemn her. He gives her freedom from that sin. And faith family, that is hope. That is hope. The reality is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you do not have to sin. Sin does not have to control you. It doesn't have to control me. We are given freedom from sin, but we're also, Jesus does not condemn us because see, even in our sinfulness, there's hope given through Christ. Hold your finger here in John chapter 8. Turn to Romans chapter 8. About a year ago, as a faith family, we took about six or seven weeks and walked through Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is my favorite chapter of the Bible. I love it. 
In Romans chapter 8, maybe you have this memorized. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, it says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now verse 2. Because the law, think the law of Moses, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you what? Free from the law of sin. What the law, the law of Moses, could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. In order that the law's requirement will be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Faith family, listen to me. There is now no no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, you do not have to fear condemnation. You do not have to fear judgment. You do not have to fear guilt. There is no condemnation. So back here in John chapter 8, Jesus tells this woman, I do not condemn you. Why? Because she says, Lord, she's believed, and there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he he tells her, go and sin no more. So this belief in her life, she not only receives no condemnation, but she she receives freedom from sin. Paul also explains this in Romans 6, verses 17 through 21. He says that at salvation, we are set free from being slaves of sin, but we are now slaves to Christ. So though we are sinful, broken, messed up people, our lives are in terrible shape, there's conflict in our lives, Jesus offers freedom from sin. But let's see another statement by Jesus here in John chapter 8 that helps us understand this. So look at John chapter 8, and let's go now to verse 12, and we're going to read verses 12 through 20. Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Even if I testify testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true. Because I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. And if I do judge, my judgment is true. Because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Then they asked him, where is your Father? You know, you know neither me nor my Father, Jesus answered. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. He spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple. But no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Wow. Quite some statements here by Jesus. Jesus is talking again here to the religious leaders. We don't know how much time passes between verse 11 and verse 12. We don't know. 
But again, here Jesus is speaking at a religious festival. John, throughout his writings, uh, revolves the teaching, teachings of Jesus. It revolves around these festivals. So Jesus here is at another festival. It's called the Festival of Sukkot. This is a time where the Jewish people celebrate God's, celebrated God's faithfulness as they dwelt together in tents in the wilderness. In the Old Testament, when Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt when they were slaves, and they were in the wilderness, they lived in tents. And at this festival, they would remember, and you can read about this in Exodus 13, verse 21, God would lead them through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. And so because of this incredible concept of God dwelling with them and leading them by a pillar of fire, this festival carried a theme of light. And at this festival, Jesus, and his brilliant timing by him, makes the claim and statement that he is the light of the world. Now this is a tremendous statement, especially to these Jewish people. We've already seen as we've gone through John together that Jesus said, I am the living water. Drink from me and you'll never be thirsty again. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I will sustain you. I will give you life. And now Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. And because of the setting of this festival and what they were celebrating, what Jesus is saying, just as your forefathers in the wilderness were wandering around in the wilderness, they followed God in the manifestation of a pillar of fire, and God was present with you in that pillar of fire, so am I God, I am present with you, and you should follow me. They would have understood exactly what he was saying because of this festival. So Jesus is saying, just as God, as a pillar of fire, lit the way in the wilderness, I am the light of the world that removes darkness, that removes confusion, and I can lead you out of the dark, out of the darkness. Don't you, if you're like me, don't you not like the dark? I don't like the dark. I don't like when our house is dark, especially this time of year when it gets dark so early. I like to have lights on. I find it depressing. Mary Lane gets on to me because she's like, you're, you're wasting electricity. This is making our power bill go up, you know, those kinds of things. So we have a lot of great conversation about it. And, um, you know, I don't like the darkness. Why? Because we stumble. We can be uh, disoriented. It's just depressing, well, I mean, just the other night, we have a cat named Salvi, named him after Salvador Perez. If you're looking for a cat, we have one for you. We're happy to have been trying to pawn him off on to a lot of you for a few months. And the cat, the other night, because it's cold, uh, came into our bedroom wanting something to eat, probably 3, 4 a.m., I don't even know when that was. And I'm already get up enough with little children in our house. So the cat came in the house and he, into our room, wanted something to eat. And on my way to feed him, I stepped on something. Anyone have any idea what I stepped on? <laughs> a toy, right, not a Lego, thank goodness. I probably would have gone to urgent care over that. But a toy dinosaur. Our boys are really into this dinosaur stage. I stepped on a toy dinosaur, and it was painful. In fact, I wanted to say some things that I probably didn't need to say. All right, My sanctification was on the line in that moment. 
We don't like darkness. When we are in darkness, we stumble. We're disoriented. We're confused. Sometimes it even results in pain. Well, because of our sin, the Bible describes it as darkness. That we are in the darkness. Our lives, because of sin, are chaotic. They get turned upside down because of sin. Our relationships can be broken and confusing because of sin. And we need something or someone to lead us out. We talked about last week how we chase after all kinds of things to find that stability in our lives. And we can turn to just about anything to have that unconfusion, that light in our lives. Well, Jesus here says, I am the light of the world. I remove that darkness. I remove that confusion. Anyone, he says in verse 12, anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness. So Jesus, in the midst of that darkness of our lives, amidst that chaos and confusion and conflict, Jesus is that hope. He is like God in the pillar of fire in the wilderness. And I love how the Bible is just interweaves on its own. That that pillar of fire is really a picture of the coming Christ. And he, like God, in the pillar of, 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 of fire in the wilderness, leads us to eternal safety. So you might be asking the question, Adam, how do we receive that light? How do I get that? How do I have that hope? How do we get that life that Jesus described to this adulterous woman of no condemnation and freedom of sin? How do I get that? Like, I hope at this point of this sermon, you're in that that place of, I need this. I need no condemnation. I need freedom. I need light in my life. How do I get this? Well, look down in verse 30. We're going to come back around to this in two weeks. But look at verse 30. It says, Then they tried to seize him, yet no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And look at verse 31. However, many from the crowd, what? Believed in him. So how do we get this life of no condemnation? How do we receive spiritual freedom? How do we have that light in our lives that leads us out of spiritual darkness? Because everything in life is connected to the spiritual, whether you want to deny it or not. How do we receive that spiritual light? It's through belief. We keep coming around to this. John is emphasizing this over and over again. Believe understand our sinfulness and the light and life that Jesus provides. The more we follow Jesus, the more we believe because of his work, the gospel, we are fulfilled, we are satisfied, we are led, and we are eternally safe because of Jesus. So if you are like me and you need that life of no condemnation, and you need that life of spiritual freedom, of being of the chains of sin being dropped, of needing that life of spiritual light and guidance. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus, and you too can experience 
no condemnation, no judgment. Believe in Jesus and you can experience freedom from the slavery of sin. Believe Jesus so you can escape the darkness and confusion of sin and experience the light of Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you might be saying, Adam, I'm wrestling with sin. This feels like sin is controlling me. Just as John says in chapter 20 of this book that we're walking through, continue to believe. Allow the claims and what we're seeing of Jesus to strengthen your belief so you can still experience freedom from sin. We must believe Jesus. It is through Jesus, it's through the gospel that our lives, not to sound trite, but our lives completely come together. And we can experience the freedom and the relationship that comes from our Creator. Pray with me. God, this morning, through Your Word and through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, we understand the reality of sin. We understand who we are as people. We see your holiness and our sinfulness, and we need you. I pray that you would continue to open our eyes to the reality that if we are in Christ, there's no condemnation. That in Christ, there is freedom from sin. That in Christ, we can have light that removes the darkness of sin in our lives. And God, I pray if there's anyone here today that has never fully realized this, they've never believed, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open their eyes to this reality. And that they would experience salvation that can only come through you. I pray for those of us who are believers, brothers and sisters, and I pray that as we lead this life, that you would help us to understand the freedom we do have from sin. That through your work, not anything we've done, but through what you have done, you bring stability, you bring wisdom, you bring freedom through the gospel. And I pray you would expand our desire and appetite for you. Help us to become, have and, and receive a greater understanding that you are the living water. That you are the bread of life. You are the light of the world. And that we can experience life to its fullest through what you've done. We thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.